What is the Podcaster Matrix? The Podcaster Matrix is your source for podcast media hosting. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at podcastermatrix.com. Have you ever had the feeling of being watched? Hidden eyes following you? A cold chill crawling up your spine? The hairs on the back of your neck standing straight up. Do you know what that is? It's fear. It's fear. Fear is the most basic human emotion tied into our instinct to survive. Fear gives us the means to overcome great odds or cripple us with paralyzing dread. dread. But fear can also entertain. Turn off all the lights, lock your closet door, and ignore the sounds from beneath your bed. It's time for Two Guys Talking Horror. It's the most wonderful time of the year. No, I'm not talking about Christmas. I'm talking about Halloween. The month of October has turned into its own celebration for most of us horror lovers. As a matter of fact, I personally have a saying on my social media accounts. I don't celebrate Halloween. I am Halloween. And speaking of social media accounts, Two Guys Talking Horror loves interacting with our fans. So this year, what better way to interact with horror lovers than putting monsters against monsters in something that we like to call the first annual, because we're going to do it again, therefore it can be called annual, Halloween Horror King or Queen Monster Battle Bracket on social media. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, to another edition of Two Guys Talking Horror. I'm one of your hosts, Nicholas J. Hearn. And I'm your other host, Jason Contini. Jason, it's great to be back yeah. in the podcasting chair again yes, for horror. We've got a lot to talk about, but before we get to it, let's do a quick bit of housekeeping. Celebrity Interview. Now, we've talked about it quite a bit on the podcast. I do another show called Curious Goods, which is a podcast that delves into every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. Yeah, you guys watch every episode and, and break it down. Right, right. And it's it's the show, the TV show, not the movie series, right. not Jason Voorhees. This is the show where they're, it's the antique store and they're cursed by the devil and you got to find the antiques. Well, recently... The Curious Goods podcast was fortunate enough to actually have their first celebrity interview with journalist and author Elise Wax, who wrote the book, not a book, the book on Friday the 13th, the series called Curious Goods Behind the Scenes of Friday the 13th, the series. And during that episode, before we before we ended things, I asked Elise if she would be interested and being a part of a future episode of Two Guys Talking Horror. And luckily enough for all of us, she said yes. So, 
Not only do I want all of you listeners to check out that episode of Curious Goods, which, of course, there'll be a link in the show notes to this episode, but I want you to prepare yourselves for not only our first non-relative slash personal friend guest on the show, <laughs> right? but we're finally getting the female perspective of horror on the show, which is something that I feel we have been sorely lacking. Yeah, yeah. From it's, the beginning. It's it's pretty much just been you and me and occasionally Diesel and Your Sean dad. and my dad or, you know. Yeah. Or, it's a sausage. It's, it's, it is. It is. And and primarily our sausage. This is getting <laughs> right. weird. Let's, yeah, keep it going. <laughs> Let's keep talking about sausage. <laughs> right. I now want breakfast food. That's right. Check out the show notes for this episode, all the links that you need to, to find not only the episode with Elise on Curious Goods Podcast, but all of her cool stuff that she does and, and all of the books that she's written. And we cannot wait to welcome her to a future episode of Two Guys Talking Horror. Now that the housekeeping is out of the way, let's dive into these battle royales. Yeah. Of, of the titans of horror. And and I think before we even b- dive into these these battles, Nick, uh, you know, for anyone who is listening to this show, chances are, if you're listening to the show, you probably follow us on some form of social media. But for the few of you out there who just listen to the show and don't follow us, what we've been doing is we've been pitting monsters against each other on social media and having our our fans and our followers and our listeners and our friends and and everyone that we interact with through the show online vote for the monster that they want to see win that battle and it's it's set up in a bracket system and it's been pretty fun we've gotten through the whole first round now yes yes and and i know what you're thinking you know jason nick why why would i care about joining one of your social media pages to vote on something that all the other pages are doing right now where horror movies or monsters are concerned. Ah, I get it. You want something more. Well, how about this? How about original art of the competitors done by our own Jason Contini? Yep. Fully penciled, fully inked, and fully colored original art for each battle showing you know we're not just grabbing art from online and just showing you here's a picture of robert england as as freddy krueger and here's a picture of you know whoever that he's fighting but we're not doing that this is full original art and it's something that we're going to continue on with throughout the entire month of october for this year as we count down to see who's going to be the king or queen of the of the match this year but i think that there are some, Nick, who say that's not enough. Balderdash. I think so. Well, for those people who do think so, who don't, who, who, who don't think that original art is enough to bring you on over to social media to hang out with us, how about I do you one, one more? At the end of all the voting, when we announce the winner of each fight, guess what? There's an original short story of how that fight goes, written by yours truly. And to entice all of you listeners, tonight, 
as we go through our round one matchups, Jason and I will be taking turns and we will be reading those fights to you. Yes, that's right. It's story time here on Two Guys Talking Horror. First of all, our bracket is divided into two categories, classic monsters and modern monsters. Technically speaking, when you say modern monsters, that's modern monsters for us. Yeah, they're really kind of classic monsters now, too. I mean, uh, yeah, you know, I don't for, think for they're the new generation. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're, they're old movies as well. I, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. You know, I don't I don't know. Candyman, I think, might be the most recent <laughs> monster on the on the list, if I can technically, remember right, I think. Technically, it's Pennywise. Or Pennywise, it's the Bill yeah. Skarsgård yeah, version yeah, yeah, of Pennywise. Yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. So, I think he's the the most recent version, most recent monster that is on the list. Also, where these stories are concerned for these matchups, all of the movies are, we're, we're, we're considering movies, they're canon. So, even when they get wacky continuity, it's canon. There's also a handful of novelizations, especially for the classic monsters mm-hmm. that we've decided to use and consider as canon as well. And there will be links in the show notes to all the things that we used as reference material so that you all can peruse and uh, take a look at some of the cool things that we found. Because there were a lot of things. Uh, my my Amazon shopping cart is filled to the brim with things that I am now buying for myself as early Halloween presents. Yeah, I've got so many things that, you know, I just end up saving on Amazon and then it goes into the buy it soon wish list queue or whatever. And then the <laughs> thing just goes on for pages. So now that we've got all of that out of the way and everybody understands where we're coming from, let's get started with the Halloween Horror King or Queen. Monster Battle Bracket of 2020. (laughs) Classic Monster Division, Round 1, Match 1. The Wolfman versus Dracula. The full moon hangs low above the forest, struggling to shine its soft glow through the branches. The woods are silent tonight, holding their collective breath, fearing what is about to happen. For tonight, this ancient tree-covered landscape will be a battlefield for monsters. Racing through the underbrush of dead leaves and twigs, the wolfman narrows his yellow eyes. As if seeing an invisible trail, he pours on more speed, muscles flexing underneath dark brown fur poking through ripped clothes. He sniffs the air as he moves, swimming through the silver darkness. His prey is close. So close. An ear-piercing shriek rips through the night. A massive bat, the size of a large dog, flies down from the treetops. The wolfman reacts a moment too late as the winged creature slams into him, knocking them both to the forest floor. The wolfman tumbles, rolling sideways against the trunk of a tree with a crashing thud. Looking up, The wolfman glares at the oversized bat hovering above him. The creature shrieks again, its red eyes burning with hatred down at its lupine pursuer. The bat thing swirls in the air, morphing into a dark mist-like substance. 
it pulses and flows to the ground and suddenly transforms into the shape of a man. Stepping out of the shadows, dressed in fine aristocratic attire, is the Lord of the Vampires himself, Count Dracula. I must admit, this has been a most amusing night. But the chase is over, my furry adversary. The wolfman stands, slowly, without breaking eye contact. He flexes his muscular body, bones cracking and popping as they heal from the impact of the tree. A low growl begins to reverberate deep in his throat as he paces back and forth in front of the vampire. Good. Your strength and power will sustain my brides and I for weeks to come. The wolfman stops his pacing taking a defiant stance. His growl sharpens in tone, offering a challenge to his undead opponent. The wolfman lifts his head to the sky and lets out a long howl. He then leaps through the air towards Dracula. The centuries-old count only smiles as the two embrace in a deadly dance of carnage. The battle rages through the forest for hours, the combatants offering no mercy to one another. The damage inflicted is great, and would have killed any natural being a hundred times over. But these are no natural beings. Even with their supernatural healing abilities, though, both the vampire and the lycanthrope display the savagery of the night's events. But the night is waning. Enough! Dracula bellows at the wolfman the left side of his face a bloody mass of torn flesh that slowly knits itself back together. My patience is at an end! The wolfman pants heavily. Standing in a small, bare patch in the forest, he takes note of his injuries. Large chunks of flesh are missing from his massive chest and arms. Dark blood runs slowly over his fur. And with the moon's glow fading from the sky as the pink and blue of dawn approaches, the blood-covered fur grows shorter and shorter. He watches Dracula, clothes torn, cape long-ripped to shreds, as the vampire touches the wound on his face with annoyance. We will bring this conflict to its natural conclusion once the moon has returned. Until then, count your blessings, beast. With a look of disgust, Dracula turns away from his fur-covered enemy. It is in that moment that the wolfman makes his move. Using the last of his otherworldly strength and speed, the wolfman races towards Dracula, grabbing him from behind. The act takes the undead aristocrat by surprise as he is lifted off of his feet and rushed forward facing a broken branch protruding from a nearby tree. Realization fills Dracula's mind a moment too late as his body is thrust upon the jagged branch, plunging through his chest, holding his frame face first to the trunk of the tree. Dracula laughs. <laughs> Your aim is off, cur. My heart is intact. The wolfman fur having almost retreated into his body, face reshaping itself to resemble the man beneath the monster, gives a short snort. <sighs> Wasn't aiming. 
for that, he growls. With the first rays of the sun creeping over the forest above, Dracula realizes his foe's plan. Daylight begins to pour over the vampire's back, causing his flesh to smoke. In a panic, Dracula attempts to pull himself off of the tree branch, needing to find the refuge of the dark woods nearby, but with no success. The wolfman wraps himself around the burning, undead creature, pulling him off the branch and holding him fast, face first, into the sunlight. Dracula screams and is engulfed in flames, struggling to break free of his captor's grasp. The flames spread to the nearly human form of the wolfman, and both beings cry out in frustration and pain. In a burst of unnatural energy that rocks the woods for miles around, Dracula is no more. In the early morning silence of the forest, the vampire's ashes float on the wind, drifting down to cover the charred form of Lawrence Talbot. Talbot's chest begins to rise and fall. Slowly, he is alive. His curse has seen to that. And with the gentle morning breeze blowing the remains of the King of the Vampires away, Lawrence sleeps. He dreams. Dreams of the full moon. Dreams of the coming battles. For there are more monsters to fight. So our winner is the Wolfman. Wolfman takes the first battle that we've ever recorded for Halloween, King or Queen. Yep. In my opinion, rightly so. He's my favorite, even though Frankenstein is, is one of my all-time favorite novels. You know, the, the classic universal film is nothing like the novel, so well, it's, right. it's a separate entity. And I love it, and I love Karloff, but, um, you know, the Wolfman's my favorite, man. Wolfman is great. I, I enjoy Dracula, too, depending on the interpretation. And for me, uh, this was anybody's battle, mm. you know, because because movies have done it for uh, for a very long time. Vampires versus werewolves. I, I, I know Underworld kind of cornered the market for it, but there were a lot of other films that were doing it way before Underworld. Not, not that I'm knocking Underworld, but this was one of those to where I, I'm glad I was up to the fans because I couldn't have made this decision. <laughs> Because I sure. like them both. They're both great characters. But Wolfman moves on in the competition. Modern Monster Division. Round one. Match one. Freddy Krueger versus the Candyman. In a landscape somewhere outside the physical world, two beings composed of malice, rage, and never-ending hate are locked in a battle. Their surroundings look like an abandoned industrial complex filled with rusting machinery and collapsing walls. That is only a facade, a backdrop for carnage. It is this place, this crossroads of existence, that allows these masters of murder to harm one another. For in reality, they are but myth. They are legends. They are ghosts. Daniel was a painter, a man who knew love, but that was all taken away because of the color of his skin 
and the small minds of the people around him. In death, he still creates works of art, but instead of paint and canvas, he uses blood and body parts. In death, Daniel is known as the Candyman. Fred Krueger was nothing more than an abomination to humanity, a blight. The bastard son of a hundred maniacs, Kruger spent his time on earth taking the lives and innocence of children. His reign of terror was cut short as his community hunted him down and consumed him in fire. Fred Kruger may have been born a monster, but in death he became something nightmares are made of. No one can say how long their fight has been going. An hour... A day, a century, time means nothing in this space between space. The important thing to know is that while in this place, their blows can injure and maim and very likely kill. With his hook held high, Candyman glances down at his adversary, his slashed face oozing dark blood. Freddy, a heap on the floor, pushes himself up on all fours, panting heavily. A confident sneer washes over Candyman's face. My hook has taken so many, but you, you do not deserve the privilege. It is beneath me to end your existence, but end you I will. As the gore-covered hook races down through the air, Freddy's left hand shoots out too fast to see, stopping Candyman's arm in mid-motion. Kruger stands, slowly, a defiant expression etched on his face, while Candyman struggles in his grip. You're not the first asshole to try and take me out. I'll tell you what I told them. I am eternal. Kruger and Candyman lock eyes. A swipe of his claw severs the hook from Candyman's arm, the mangled stump spraying Freddy with crimson blood. Freddy looks at the hook in his hand, then peers down at Candyman, brought to his knees from pain. A wicked smile crosses Kruger's lips as he spins around and slams the hook into his opponent's skull. He pulls at the hook, bringing Candyman close to his face. Get my point, Danny? Eyes wide, Candyman is helpless as Freddy yanks up on the hook, splitting the skull of the spectral urban legend. Furious bees stream out of the cracked cranium, swarming around Candyman's body, as if trying to help hold his body up. Their attempts are futile, as they all fade away in small plumes of sickly gray smoke. Daniel, the being known as the Candyman, hits the floor with an echoing thud. Kruger licks the tip of the hook, closing his eyes, savoring the kill, and tosses it to the floor next to its former owner. He walks slowly towards the exit of the abandoned building, retrieving his hat as he nears the door. Before leaving, Freddy turns to look back at his fallen rival. He places his hat upon his head, adjusts it to his liking. He looks around and then out into the darkness beyond the former battleground. 
He stares, as if seen past the darkness, out into the void of nothing. In a gravelly voice, he calls out, Who's next? Freddy Krueger uh, takes the first round of modern monsters in my pseudo-best Robert England impression. <laughs> <laughs> and I say a strong emphasis on pseudo there. I have to tell you, though, I really do. In, uh, I, I really did enjoy your Candyman. I can kind of get deep. Nobody can get Tony Todd deep. Oh, but no. um, <laughs> I can kind of get a, a little deep. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I just didn't have the Robert England, you know, not not the way that uh, I could do Tony Todd or that you could do Bella Lugosi. Well, I don't I, I, I'm not I don't think that was a great Bella Lugosi, but it was all right <laughs> for the intents of this podcast. I think it was. Okay. I think it, I think it worked. I think it worked. Classic Monster Division, round one, match two. The Bride of Frankenstein versus The Invisible Man. The year, 1967. There are few places as deadly as the rainforest. Its dense canopy and tree cover, the savage nature of its wildlife, even the vegetation is deadly. Far away from prying eyes sits a modest-looking structure, sturdy, made from the wood of the land. For all the dangers lurking in the shadows, they do not hold a candle to the monsters facing each other tonight within that small building. Lady Lilith Pretorius Stein had traveled to this remote death trap to find and kill Dr. Claude Griffin for reasons all her own. Dr. Griffin was the great-grandson of John Griffin, a brilliant scientist who had discovered the means to become invisible. The process had driven John insane, compelling him to perform barbaric acts on the innocent people around him. Claude had taken up the family tradition and was conducting his own twisted experiments in the Amazon. Dr. Griffin had been expecting Lady Pretorius Stein, he had in fact left a trail of breadcrumbs for her, luring her away from her secluded estate in the frigid hills of Denmark, all the way to this hellish environment. Dr. Griffin knew who Lilith really was. Although posing as a very private member of high society, living in isolation, the pale-skinned, raven-haired beauty was actually the second creation of Dr. Henry Frankenstein. She was to be his first creation's mate, its bride. While researching his great-grandfather's work, Claude had stumbled upon the journal of Dr. Septimus Pretorius, an associate of Henry Frankenstein long thought dead. The journal detailed how he and the female he had helped birth had survived the destruction of Henry's tower laboratory and had let the world think them dead. It was the miracle of life that drew Claude to wanting Lilith for himself. The ability to create a legion of invisible, golem-like puppets? The world would be his. Lilith's intentions for Dr. Griffin were far less grand. He was a disgusting, vile, and loathsome degenerate who left his victims, mostly women, with as little dignity as possible upon their deaths. 
He needed to be put down like the rabid dog he was. Griffin and Lilith did not see eye to eye regarding on one another's fates, so a fight had ensued. Lilith, dressed in tan traveling slacks and a light blue blouse, had lunged at Claude, or what she could see of him. The mad doctor had been dressed only in a smoking jacket, silk pajama bottoms, white gloves, and dark glasses. Their appearances did nothing to show off their strength. Griffin driven by madness, Lilith powered by the forces of nature that helped create her. Despite both of their tenacity, it took Lilith using a sharp letter opener to slow the confrontation down. Griffin laughed, his gloved hand wiped at his invisible face. The laugh turned to a hiss of pain as he took his hand away. Even though you can't see it, Lady Frankenstein, your blow has cut me deep across my nose. I would be in such a rage if I cared about my appearance as I once did. Searching for a way out, Lilith backed herself against the window, looking out over the dark waters of the Amazon. The moon above gave the water an inky blackness to its surface. She pondered how many deadly creatures roamed those depths before facing her attacker once more. Her grip on the letter opener tightened as Dr. Griffin took a step towards her. Come closer, and I'll take away more than your looks, Doctor. Yes, I believe you would, Griffin turned and walked across the room towards his desk. Papers, books, and furniture littered the small study, and he kicked at things as he passed them, like a child throwing a tantrum. Once he reached the desk, Claude opened a small drawer. A moment later, a small silver-chromed pistol was in his hand. I'll respect your wishes and keep my distance. He pulled the trigger. A plume of red began to expand across the light blue material of her blouse as blood flowed from the wound in Lilith's torso, just below her left breast. A puzzled look washed over her face as she looked up at him. I was hoping to get answers straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak, but I can learn what I need from a detailed autopsy instead. He fired again and the bullet tore through the flesh of Lilith's chest. The impact of the shot slammed her back into the window. She could feel the glass crack under her body. It was then that she smiled. Most men I meet are actually just children playing as adults. When they don't get what they want, or someone tells them no, they behave like the brats they are. You fall under that category, Dr. Griffin. Lilith took several small steps forward as she spoke, never taking her eyes off of the mad scientist. Griffin cocked the hammer back on his pistol. I do apologize, my dear. I didn't hear a word you said. I was thinking of your dead, naked form laid out on my operating table. He pointed the gun at her once more. Lilith stared daggers at her opponent. She sneered as she said, This is far from over. She then turned with an unnatural speed and ran for the window. Griffin fired several times as Lilith leapt into the air, crashing through the already broken window glass and plunging into the dark waters of the Amazon.
Claude screamed in frustration as he ran to the damaged window. Wretched wench! In the moonlight, there was no trace of Lady Frankenstein's hauntingly beautiful form. Not even traces of her blood could be seen in the water. Deep beneath the surface, though, things lurked. Griffin calmed himself, allowing a small smile to reach his lips. Her fate would be far worse with the monsters of the Amazon than from his tender hands. He turned from the glassless window and poured himself a drink. A drink in triumph over his enemy. A hollow triumph. All right, so I kind of cheated when I wrote this story. I am such a huge fan of The Bride of Frankenstein. Well, it's and the, the f- best of, of the universals. I mean, right, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's the best of, of those early universal movies. But the character herself does not get a lot of attention. Very true. There's not a lot on the character that's not just satirizing what little we saw from that original movie. Right. And, uh, and I found that uh, Dark Horse actually published some books that were continuations of the old Universal monster movies. And I used a lot of that as inspiration. So even though the Invisible Man won the fight, he didn't necessarily kill the bride because we don't see a body. That's true. Well, and you have to you have to leave things open for every good monster to be able to to come back anyway. Yep. Who knows? Maybe the bride will come back for next year. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Modern Monsters Division Round One, Match Two: The Tall Man versus Pennywise. Deep within the sewers of a small New England town lives a monster. A monster that preys on the fear and flesh of children. This monster has lived for centuries. It has caused more pain and suffering than can possibly be measured. But this monster is experiencing something it is only dreamt about during the long sleeps that have carried it through millennia. Fear. For this monster is being chased. Lurking through the shadows of the dank sewer tunnels, Pennywise scans the area frantically, eyes searching for any sign of its pursuer. A fleeting thought passes through its old and alien mind. Maybe it's safe. Maybe it's won the unrelenting game of hide-and-seek. As a smile attempts to reach its face, its eyes go wide. The distinct sound of footsteps softly echoing through the man-made structure chases away any hope of escape. As that rhythmic tempo continues from down the long tunnel, the shadows shift. The long, dark, human-shaped silhouette stretched across the filth-ridden sewer walls growing larger and larger as it approaches. Stepping from out of the murky darkness, a figure dressed in a black suit stands perfectly still, stiff as a corpse, glaring down the tunnel. The figure is a man, a very tall man. 
Clown! Struck with terror from the tall man's declaration, Pennywise bolts from its place within the shadows of the sewers and scampers away. The act of fleeing was new to the clown, who wasn't a real clown to begin with. Normally able to shift forms to suit its victim's greatest fear, Pennywise was currently trapped in its present form, all due to the fact its pursuer was not afraid of anything. Leave me be! it cried, sloshing through the gray water. As it reached the next turn in the labyrinth of tunnels, a small object shot out of the darkness, impacting the nightmarish clown in its shoulder and sending it backwards. Pennywise looked down to find a silver sphere with pointed blades dug deep into its flesh. Before the sewer dweller had time to register what was happening, more flying silver balls flew out of the blackness of the tunnels, all soaring its way. One after another struck the clown, each digging into its form. With each impact, the spheres rocked the pale-faced creature back and forth through the filth-soaked sewers, finally lifting it up and securing it to the wall. Thirteen silver spheres in all. Struggling to free itself from the surprisingly powerful orbs, Pennywise did not notice the tall man standing in front of it. A yelp escaped its throat once Pennywise found itself nose to nose with its captor. It was the sound of terror escaping the clown's lips that placed a half-grin on the cadaverous visage of the tall man. "'You've played a good game, clown,' said the tall man. "'It was a merry chase, but now the game is over.' In sheer panic, Pennywise began to try to morph its form into something, anything that would allow it to have the upper hand, but none would come. Only the slightly deflated form of defeat. Still thrashing against the spheres, it looked at the tall man with a glint of defiance in its eyes. You can't end me like the fear of a child. I am forever, it spat. With a raised eyebrow, the tall man stared at the almost putty-like face of the clown. A moment later, his right arm shot out and plunged deep into Pennywise's chest. The clown screamed in a voice that changed octaves seemingly all at once. The tall man dug within the sagging form of his prey, searching for something. Once he was satisfied with what he had found, he pulled his arm out, fist clenching a misshapen organ, still pulsing with faint life. I beg to differ. A hum filled the sewer tunnel. Behind the tall man, two long silver cylinders of equal height appeared. The tall man stepped aside, allowing the spheres to carry the dripping remains of the child-eating beast through the portal. The tall man looked at the alien heart in his hand for a moment, then tossed it over his shoulder, letting it fall into the filth-riddled water. He then stepped forward and vanished within the portal, leaving no trace behind. That night, the children of the small New England town slept soundly for perhaps the first time in ages. Obviously, these battles are being determined by 
fans and friends and followers on social media, mm-hmm. but you know, but you still have to write these stories, and, <laughs> yeah. and that is a just a constant hammering. <laughs> and and I'm I'm glad I wanted the tall man to win because I'm I'm a fan of the tall man. Yeah. But and not 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 that I'm not a fan of Pennywise, but um, but boy, that story that you you put together, that one's just kind of relentless. And Pennywise, the way you've got it written, dude doesn't have a chance. Yeah, yeah, I kind of feel like had it been Tim Curry's Pennywise, then there might have been a little bit of a shift where the voting was mm, concerned. Possible, yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of glad that the tall man won as well. Another thing is, is that I also try to keep these as short as possible because they're sure. supposed to be short stories for social media. But sometimes I have diarrhea of the pen. Sometimes, some <laughs> all, all the time, all the time, really, all the time. For 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 those out there listening, that that's been a joke between Nick and I for nearly twenty years now. So. Yeah, yeah. So uh, essentially, these all could have been longer, and it was actually more of a challenge to find a way to make these short stories mm. than it was to actually come away to f- figure a way for these fights to actually happen well these have been some exciting battles Jason and there are more to come when we return to this episode of two guys talking horror monster battle bracket for the Halloween horror king or queen we'll be right back Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can. With perpetual advertising, here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment, real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. For most, Friday the 13th means Jason Voorhees. What a lot of people don't know, however, is that there was another Friday the 13th, the television series. Join your podcast hosts, Mike and Nick, as they review the search for cursed antique goods during a perspective review of Friday the 13th, the series. It's the Curious Goods Podcast. Check it out now at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Corps. Editing podcasts can be rough. Everyone knows that you'll spend at least double the time you use creating the podcast when editing it. Then there's the control freak factor and the gotta get it right the first time. Well, it's time to shove all that out the door and make your podcast soar with the Editor Corps. The Editor Corps is a talented, experienced team of podcast editors that have edited tens of thousands of hours of podcast content, and they're ready for yours now. 
check out editorcore.com because it's time to make your podcast soar. Editorcore.com. That's editorcore.com. Welcome back, everybody, to Two Guys Talking Horror. We're going to jump straight into our next battle for the horror Halloween king. Or queen. <laughs> Classic Monster Division, round one, match three. The Gillman versus Himotep, the mummy. To return me to my full and glorious power, the sacrificial blood of an ancient being must be spilled over me. It was those words that started the trek from the golden sands of Egypt to the lush green forests of the Amazon. Hemotep, the resurrected mummy, had plans for the modern world, but those plans would not come to fruition unless he was at full power. In his own time, talk of a race of amphibian people had reached the royal halls of the pyramids. It was this knowledge that fueled Imhotep on his journey. The trip was long and full of peril. What started as a caravan of fifty was now a gathering of half a dozen. Some died during the long sea voyage. Others fought off the natives of the Amazon. Most were killed by the predators that lived in the wild. Only Imhotep's five strongest disciples remained to find the whispered Black Lagoon. The untouched paradise was rocked by the Egyptians as the mummy ordered his followers to clear a fifty-foot-wide area, space to perform his dark ritual. The wanton destruction to the peaceful landscape did more than alter the face of the Black Lagoon's surroundings. It drew the attention of its sole bipedal resident, the Gillman. A wet roar erupted from the creature as he stomped his way into the clearing. Some of the Egyptian acolytes sprang into action, pointing spears to keep the creature back, while others prepared a large, sturdy net hoping to capture the Gilman with little effort. This was what Imhotep was hoping for. A smile stretched across the brittle-looking face of the mummy. Better the beast come to me than lose more men within this filthy jungle, he thought. The smile continued to grow as he watched his men battle the aqua-humanoid. It seemed the battle was soon to be over. That was not the case. The Gilman had faced humans before, and remembered their tricks. Deep in his amphibian brain, the creature knew that fast brute force was what was needed to end these soft air breathers. And brute force was delivered. It took little effort to swat away the spears, break the human's bones, and rip apart the net. Within moments, the blood of all five Egyptian warriors dripped from the gill man's webbed, clawed hands. I do not need my full power to best you, beast. You shall bow before me, like all the others. Imhotep closed his eyes, held his arms out to the heavens, 
and began to focus his power, but not fast enough. A jolt of pain forced the ancient Egyptian priest to open his eyes. He looked down to find the clawed hand of the gillman deep within his chest. Dead skin, dried bone, and dust began to float away from the wound as the creature jerked his arm away. Imhotep was speechless as the gillman continued his assault, raking his claws across the crumbling mummy with each strike. The creature proceeded to knock his opponent around like a rag doll. The brutal beating found Imhotep at the Black Lagoon's edge, looking at his reflection in the water. What looked back was the face of a dead man. Before he could register the gravity of his situation, the creature slammed Imhotep's head into the dark water. His body thrashed and spasmed under the power of the gillman, but it was no use. The damage was done. The mummy had lost his head. Literally. The gillman pulled the headless corpse of Imhotep out of the water and began stomping the remains into dust. Once satisfied with the results, the creature produced one final roar of dismissal and returned to the tranquility of the Black Lagoon. The water rippled and bubbled for a moment, and then was still, as peace returned to the hidden oasis. Not a shocker there. No, not a shocker. I have to say, for me, a disappointment. I don't dislike the creature and the Gillman, but I've never been a real big creature Gillman fan. Mm -hmm. And I, I love the mummy in every incarnation. Uh, so I was really kind of rooting for the mummy in that one. But, you know, I mean, that's that's the way the votes went. That's the way the mummy crumbles. Boom, boom. <laughs> Modern Monster Division, round one, match three. Reagan from The Exorcist versus Leatherface. In a broken down van, in the hot Texas sun, sitting on the side of the road, pure evil waits. The inside of the van has been cleared, the seats removed. In their place now sits a mattress. It is strapped down to the floor of the van, along with the sole occupant of the back area, a twelve-year-old girl named Reagan McNeil. Turn the key again, Father Max. I'm sure your god will help the van start. The deep and raspy voice that came from Reagan did not match the size or gender of the little girl. Only her face gave any clue as to what may be causing the massive shift in her vocal range. Sunken yellow eyes, dry, cracked skin, an expression that could kill any who looked too long upon it. Reagan McNeil wasn't a normal little girl. Reagan McNeil was possessed by a demon. A demon called Pazuzu. You will not dissuade me, foul one. Our journey will continue with or without the use of this van, said Father Max, keeping his eyes straight and fighting the urge to look in the rearview mirror. You will find the priests in Mexico City sturdier stock than what you are used to. The creature living inside of Reagan's body smiled, knowing that no man of the cloth could stand against it. But there was an odd twitching sensation in the girl's left eye, like an early warning system 
Pazuzu felt another presence of evil close by. Not pure, like a demon from the pit. Muddled, murky, mixed with rage and instinct. And it was close. Company's coming, the little girl croaked. Father Max looked out the windows of the van. Front, driver's side, passenger side. He finally gathered the courage to look in the rear-view mirror and could indeed see a figure making its way towards the rear of the van. The middle-aged priest wiped the sweat from his forehead and reached for the door handle. Help comes to those who wait, he said, as he opened the door and got out of the van. Reagan's head moved as if trying to see through the frame of the van. The windows had been hurriedly painted black from the inside. Since it was a rush job, there were gaps and thin spaces, allowing her to see bits of the outside world. The twitching continued as she could just make out Father Max being approached by a towering figure. A flash of red rage filled Reagan's mind as the sound of a motor, like from a small boat or lawnmower, growled from outside the van. The silhouette of Father Max could be seen backing up, his hands raised in front of him. The turning of the motor roared to a full-blown buzz as the massive figure raised something large in his hands and brought it down upon the priest. A flood of crimson blood splashed across the window, blocking out any view of the outside world. Pazuzu squealed with excitement, though it came out more as a gurgle from the possessed girl's throat. The sound of the motor stopped. Her body writhed against the mattress as she sensed the figure move from one side of the van to the other. Her expression was almost orgasmic as the side door to the van was pulled open. Standing there was a beast of a man. Standing over six feet tall, the stranger was clad in dirty-looking slacks, a worn, blood-covered butcher's apron, and a face mask made of skin human skin, the skin from multiple human faces. Cut me free, beast man. Cut me free so we might cause more death and carnage in my name. The figure just looked at Regan, licking its borrowed lips with a dark red tongue. The grip on his blood-soaked power tool, a chainsaw, flexed. His breathing began to increase as he looked the tide girl up and down. What are you waiting for, brute? Undo these straps now! Reagan stared at the leather-faced man with eyes burning with malice. Leatherface shook his head as if shaking away invisible fingers digging through his brain. He screamed with excitement as he pulled the cord on his chainsaw, starting it up again. As the jagged teeth of the chainsaw zoomed to life, Leatherface stepped inside the van and began carving the body of the twelve-year-old girl possessed by a demon. After the slaughter, Leatherface walked home, his chainsaw in one hand and the gnarled head of Reagan McNeil in the other. As the hot Texas sun pulsed down on him, the massive hulk dreamed of the new face he would soon cobble together from his latest victim. Well, I, I have to I have to give it to you first off for going there with that <laughs> one, but also how do you take something that specifically is 
located only in Texas and connected. Well, right. Very, very clever. Uh, very well done, sir, I, I have to say. Yeah, I uh, again, this is like one of the most mismatched uh-huh. battles that, that we had. It's like, well, what the... Huh? And for those out there wondering, you know, how did we end up pitting certain monsters against certain monsters? We gave each monster a number. And then we rolled eight sided dice, yeah, and yeah. just matched them up that way. It um, was it was all left up to chance, and and part of part of me thinks that maybe that was the dumb thing. <laughs> well, for you, you're the one who had to write the stories. The drawing right. the pictures is no problem. Right. <laughs> Classic monster division round one match four, a personal favorite of mine. Frankenstein's monster versus Mr. Hyde. The scene was almost comical, if not for the two creatures involved. One was Edward Hyde, a well-dressed man of average height and build, with a face covered in scraggly hair, an expression of malice and insanity painted on it. The other was a freakishly tall, terrifyingly built, pale green-skinned giant, clad in dark clothes and a ragged brown vest. This was the creation of Dr. Henry Frankenstein, known by most and spoken in hushed tones as the monster. As Hyde pelted the green-skinned behemoth with blows from his cane, all while straddling his massive back, he wondered one thing. Why would Jekyll seek this monster out? Hyde had found himself wandering the coastline of an out-of-the-way fishing community in a dismal region of northern England. The coastline went from sandy beach to rocky cliffs drastically, and on top of those cliffs, looking out at the crashing, frothing waves below, had been the monster. There had been no words. The two stood a moment sizing each other up, and then locked eyes. Intuition drove Hyde to attack first. Either this thing had something Jekyll needed, or it was something in his way. One or the other, it did not matter. Hyde had brandished his walking cane like a club, then went to work, dishing out pain. It was out of sheer luck that Hyde had been able to swiftly climb onto the monster's back, attacking in relative safety. He knew that if the monster was able to get his considerably large hands on him, the fight would be over. Hyde stopped using his cane for blunt trauma and decided to hold it across the creature's neck, cutting off his air. Are we having fun? Oh yes, indeed we are. Hyde cackled like a mental patient in his opponent's ear. Despite his highly developed sense of survival, Hyde had no idea whom he was dealing with. As he applied pressure to the monster's airway, he could see the muscles flexing beneath its skin. It was this brief moment of amazement that was Hyde's undoing. A moment was all the monster needed. The monster took hold of Hyde's left arm and pulled the deranged man off of its back, throwing him to the ground. Hyde, the air knocked out of him, laid face down on the grass. The monster then took one great step forward, 
and smashed his foot down onto the Englishman's back over and over and over. The sound of bones cracking was only slightly lower than the sound of Hyde screaming. Mixed with each blood-curdling cry of pain was also a disconcerting giggle of enjoyment. After several moments of this strange symphony of carnage, the monster stopped. Hyde could not feel, much less move, anything below his waist. The monster took Hyde by the back of his neck and lifted him off of the ground. Like a doll, the broken man was then taken to the edge of the cliff, the monster's substantial strength holding him up, legs swaying in the night breeze. An expression of understanding washed over Hyde's face as he felt the creature holding him gather its strength. Oh, Jekyll, he said to himself with a wicked smile reaching across his face. You brilliant bastard. You finally found a way to kill us. Hyde began to laugh maniacally as the monster reared back his arm and flung the crippled madman off the cliff. Through the salty air, his laughter was carried on the breeze all the way down to the waves and the rocks below. With a look of satisfaction, the monster, content that he was alone again, continued his walk along the cliffs, enjoying the night and the glow of the moon. Well, <laughs> fortunately, the votes went uh, went that way. But I mean, in reality, well, that's probably what's going to happen if you go up against a Frankenstein monster. <laughs> true, true. And that's because I used the actual real depiction of what the the strange case of Jekyll and Hyde is most stories movies televisions things like that have really portrayed Hyde as as kind of a a hulking beast man yeah yeah you know he gets bigger he gets stronger and he's just he's just and evil. that's and that's just not I'm sorry that's just not Mr. Hyde I, it, that's that's Mr. Hyde the Marvel Comics villain but that's a super villain in comic books. That is not Marvel Comics villain. It's also it's also the same version that uh, Alan Moore used in I his know. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I know, which is odd because you would think that Alan Moore, being the stickler for uh, everything literature, yeah, would have used the actual literary depiction because yeah. really, Hyde all Hyde was was an excuse to get away with whatever Jekyll wanted. Yeah. And it, it escalated as things went went along, but but he never grew in size and strengthened things like that. So unfortunately, this was another one of those cases where not really evenly matched. Technically, had yeah. the votes had the votes gone the right way, Hyde could have taken him on because Hyde was smart and cunning, whereas the monster is just well instinct. He's very much the Hulk. It's like you know, leave yeah Frankenstein one to be left alone. Especially at this point in time, I mean, you know, if you're if you're connecting it to the Universal series specifically and going off of that mythology of the of the creature, that creature, yes, it talks in Bride, but it it's pretty monosyllabic after that, right? And yeah. um, and really just wants to be left alone, um, ultimately. We've reached the end. We have one match left, and it is probably the hardest match to even wrap one's brain around yes 
The Modern Monsters Division, Round 1, Match 4. Jason Voorhees versus Michael Myers. In what could quite possibly be the quietest fight <laughs> in the history of horror. <laughs> yeah, there's no there's no trading barbs and quips no. back and forth in this one. No. And of all of the fights, Nick, I, I don't know about you, I think you're probably in the same boat. Of all of the matchups, this was the one I had no clue how this was gonna go. Yeah, yeah. I mean um, the, the fan base for both characters yeah. are so rabid yeah you know i secretly pulled for michael but at the same time you know i was also i'm also a big jason Voorhees fan so yeah i didn't know which way this was going to go and because of that it also makes it quite difficult to create any kind of a convincing situation for the characters to to face off with one another. However, the outcome of the Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers battle is in favor of Michael Myers. And the reason why we're telling you who won the fight is because uh, I didn't write a story for this. It's it's a hard one to write. It's, it's... It is a hard one to write. I am going to write one, but first... Jason, what would you like our listeners to do? Well, at this time, I would like all of our listeners to head on over to our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com or onto any of our social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and tell us how you think this fight should have gone. Let us know what your thoughts are based on the fact that Michael won the votes. Now, if you're going to tell us how you think the fight goes, you have to make Michael the winner because Michael got the votes. He won. Michael, Michael won. He, he got the votes. So you can't just go in there and go, well, I think I should change the whole thing and I think Jason should win because he didn't. Well, I mean, you can. We're we're just not going to acknowledge it. <laughs> right, right. Because it's not part of the rules. Right, right. So head on over there and write your own story and share it with us. We'd love to hear it. We'd love to know, uh, you know, what your thoughts are on on that battle. I mean, with those two titans of power going at each other, you could really get descriptive and have some fun with that one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And... If it's better than anything I could think of, uh, it might just be what we use for the actual battle. So there's yeah. there's another incentive for you there, yeah. folks. And if we end up, you know, making it part of the, the official battle, not only would we give you a shout out in the next episode of the show that covers the Halloween horror battles this year, but one of us will read your story. Mm-hmm in the next episode, which, by the way, Nick and I have already decided that we will do this again at the end oh, of yeah. round two. We may end up doing round two in an episode and then doing round three and the final battle. Sure. As as another episode, because round three is only going to be two it, matches. Yeah, so. it's just the two fights that would be pretty quick, and I think having all three in one would be better. But yes, yes, we've enjoyed story time. We hope you've enjoyed story time. 
But since we're out of stories, we want to encourage everybody to head on over to the social media sites and vote. Round two is going on right now. Those fights will continue. We need your votes because your votes determine who wins. Yep, it's all up to you. And this time around, is it going to be Freddy Krueger or is it going to be Leatherface? Is it going to be the tall man or will it be Michael Myers? Will it be the wolf man or the invisible man? And will it be the gill man or Frankenstein's monster? We're down to the final four of each division. (laughs) Yep. That's right. Do the math, folks. So until next time, I am one of your hosts, Nicholas J. Hearn. I'm your other host, Jason Contini. And remember, folks, don't be afraid of the dark. Be afraid of what's in the dark. Congratulations. You've survived this episode of Two Guys Talking Horror. We hope you were entertained and informed by our program. Take what you have learned and pass it on to your family and friends. It may just save their lives someday. Have questions? Comments? Suggestions for a future episode? Visit our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side and fill out our short web form. It's the easiest way to interact with the hosts. Beware of monsters, creatures, and all things that go bump in the night. And keep telling yourself, it's only a podcast. It's It's only a podcast. It's only a podcast. It's It's only a podcast. It's only a podcast. It's It's only a podcast. We're going to do it again, therefore it can be called annual. Halloween Horror King. And or then this queen. is where... Yeah, there you go. Yep. So, you were there. I, I, I was just... there. Well, I, I, I was there a second too late, so... Yeah, that's <laughs> right. It's okay. <laughs> Who writes this shit? <clears throat> <laughs>